Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, coming to you with your next mental health moment. And today we will be discussing the problem with pre-existing conditions. So I'm sure by now you have heard the term pre-existing condition, and you may be wondering, where does it come from? What does it really mean? And why is it being used at times to imply that someone is responsible for things that were done to them. So pre-existing conditions actually came about with this whole managed healthcare system. So if you switch jobs and you switch insurance, then did you have some conditions prior to you starting with your new health care coverage? What are some examples of pre-existing conditions? Might be a history of cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, problems breathing, but it also could be mental health concerns such as anxiety, depression, anemia, I mean anemia, anorexia, uh, bulimia, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. So if you have things that you already were dealing with prior, you, prior to you switching over to your next healthcare coverage, then at some point you could be denied for coverage. Now, ideally, that was changed so that pre-existing conditions would not be a deterrent for coverage. But what ends up happening is the rates of coverage for you are not the same. So you may pay more in in your insurance premium uh, and you may have some difficulty getting the type of things covered that you need for your services. So the coverage may be at 20% as opposed to 80%. So Pre-existing conditions can be problematic for a lot of reasons, but why I'm bringing this up is I want to address them in regard to mental health. So what we know is that chronic stress, so the things that we deal with that are ongoing constant, tend to have a significant impact on not only our physical health, but also our mental health. So now there are uh, situational stressors, things that occur and they might be short-lived. For example, you're stressed out about your academic coursework. You're in school pursuing a degree or maybe in um, K through 12, even for our kiddos, and you're stressed out about the school year. But once the school year is over, the stress goes away, right? So that would be an example of time limited, maybe situational stress. Could be transitions that we experience in our lives, problems in our relationship that are not ongoing. But when we talk about those chronic stressors, we're talking about the things that you deal with every day. So what are some examples of that? Racism, not having enough to eat, living in poverty, financial distress, living in areas that have high crime rates, constantly seeing things on the news, such as people being murdered right before your eyes. And these are constant things because they're ongoing, right? So these are the things that are more likely to affect us every day. So how does that translate over into how it may be affecting you in your own life. So let's talk, for example, about if you live in an area where there is more crime, higher crime rate, higher police presence, more people outside making noise throughout um, the day and the night, right? So what does that translate over into for you? Um, that could mean poor quality sleep. It also could mean increased anxiety because you're stressed out about what could be happening in your neighborhood. We've all seen examples of you can be sleeping in your home and police burst through your door. So, right, people are afraid. People are afraid that people could come in their homes unwanted. People are concerned about, hey, what's going on outside? Do I need to be looking outside, checking just to make sure if I hear a noise, 
right? So think about the effects of long-term loss of sleep or inadequate sleep. And that would be defined as five hours or less on a regular basis uh, where you're not getting good sleep. Or if you have a shift work job, or if you have to work third shift, you're trying to manage your household so someone is there with the kids. And so somebody takes makes that sacrifice of working third shift. And so that quality of sleep is often poor. Okay, what's another example? If you live in an area where you don't have access to adequate food supply, some people call them food deserts. You might live in a neighborhood where there is a liquor store on every corner. You can go in a corner store and get you some cigarettes and some, and some chips and some um, honey buns, but you don't have adequate access to health fresh, healthy fresh foods, for example, or meat that hasn't been almost but expired. Um, so it's right, you're selling it right at that expiration date. Uh, and so people are getting meat that they think is quality meat when really um, this meat could be detrimental to their health. Or other foods that have been overly processed that are just available. So those frozen preservative enriched foods as opposed to you being able to get those frozen um, fruits and vegetables, right? So these are challenges. So what happens when I don't have access to quality food or there's more um, stores in my or, or restaurants in my area that have limited uh, types of food that they sell. And so I'm forced to eat maybe higher in saturated fat, fried foods more frequently, right? So then my incidences of diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, those go up, but also eating unhealthy foods for prolonged periods of time or not having access to fresh foods. It also can cause us some problems with our or our level of, of energy. So we're fatigued. We feel sluggish. We're not able to attend and concentrate in the same ways, right? So we start having uh, problems with our, our, our bowels, our, our ability to be able to process food in a healthy way. So again, what is that going to impact? It's going to impact our sleep. That's going to impact our functioning in terms of, of am I going to be wanting to get up and get up, get up every day and have the energy to do what I need to do because I don't feel well, right? And we know physical and mental health go together, right? So there's another example of if you don't have insurance or your insurance premiums are really high and your coverage is not that great, then you're going to be less likely to seek care or you meet maybe in an area where there's not good quality care and you're forced to see who may be in your area. They may not be culturally competent. Uh, the wait times there may be long. You may have to go utilize emergency services more frequently. So what are you going to do? You're not going to go to those services. We know that there is absolutely discrimination that can occur when people are in areas where they have limited medical insurance, health insurance, or their quality of insurance isn't that great. Providers don't want to see you. They spend less time with you. Um, you may not get, if you're in pain, you may not necessarily get different types of medication in the same rate that you would if you had another quality insurance. People may see you as, as drug seeking more frequently. Uh, people also will see that you're only coming in for crisis services and maybe, maybe you don't have any maintenance care plan. So they make some assumptions about that and will not give you different types of medications or other services that you may need, right? And that pre-existing condition, who does that end up getting blamed on? End up, that ends up being blamed on you. So you're now responsible for your lack of adequate resources, lack of adequate health insurance, lack of adequate food to eat, lack of adequate ability to be able to sleep and rest well, and all of the conditions that come along with that, then now that's your fault and you're being blamed for it. And you will hear people tell you, well, stop eating all that fried chicken or 
Y'all need to leave that fat back alone or that's because y'all don't go to the doctor. That's why y'all have all these problems. Not addressing the other issues that are underneath that. So how can that affect us in other areas? Guess what pre-existing conditions do? They make it harder for us to do everything. So let me give you some examples. You've already seen in the news who is affected most by COVID-19, people that have pre-existing conditions. So guess what? It makes it harder for you to fight off COVID-19. It makes it harder for you to fight off oppression. It makes it ha harder for you to, to manage grief. It makes it harder for you to be able to manage these mental health conditions that also come along with some of these other pre-existing conditions. It makes it harder for you to manage your marital stress. It makes it harder for you to work and be productive at work. It makes it harder for you to manage all of the day-to-day -day activities that you have to complete with your children. It makes it harder for you to be able to deal with loneliness and other illnesses. It makes it harder for you to trust other people. It makes it harder for you to want to fight for your benefits. And more importantly, it can make it really hard for you to want to live every day. So what do we do with all of this? I know that sounds really overwhelming and may put you in a position of hopelessness. That's not the purpose of this video podcast. It is simply to allow you to understand how dangerous the use of pre-existing conditions can be for our mental and physical health and also for us to just get the equality and justice that we need without people bringing up, but what did you do to yourself to put yourself in this situation? Right. So for a lot of people, a pre-existing condition could be their ethnicity. This was something I was born into. Could be your gender, could be uh, your sexual orientation. Right. So these are things that people always bring up in, in these types of um, situations where uh, what did you do? Well, you shouldn't have been there. Um, well, that's what you get for for being in that ethnic group or or whatever. Right. So we want to get to a point where we no longer identify by a pre-existing condition or other characteristics. Okay, so what we can do is, one, it's very important that we give people greater access. Now, what that may mean is that we have to work together in order to provide that access. So we may wanna serve some of our hours, volunteer our time to go to makeshift clinics. Um, we can utilize churches, we can utilize community centers and other buildings to go in, offer therapy services, psychoeducation. So talking to people about risk factors for mental health, our medical providers doing screening and exams, us providing um, brochures or uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of making a resource list for people. Here are places that you can go where you can get good quality care from people, from folks that you can trust. We have to make these relationships and connections with people so that they know that they have a trusting face. We have to be those gatekeepers. Um, we also may need to bring food into areas to give people access to food. Um, I love when the farmers bring in their fresh foods for people and we just set up some areas where people can receive these these uh, food items if they cannot afford them that we're able to donate them right so we can work together with our community agencies our sororities and fraternities our churches and set this up in all of our communities we can adopt neighborhoods we can adopt certain project areas we can adopt apartment complexes right so we everybody can cover those areas where there may be food deserts or lack of transportation, which is a huge issue for people to be able to get where they need to go for services. One of the things that you can do as a person when you have the resources, when you have that insurance, when you have that access to quality care is go. 
go to your doctors, go to your mental health providers, get those annual checkups, get those biannual appointments with your dentist. There are a lot of health problems that we're not even aware affect us in a variety of, of ways. Dental care is a huge one. If you don't have good dental care, it can affect you having depression, for example. It can also cause problems with memory. So there are a lot of things that not having oral care can affect you in, and we don't talk about this, we don't know this, and that's one of the areas a lot of people will skip is they don't wanna to go to the dentist. Not a fun experience sometimes, but if you go regularly, that allows you to be able to not have to have such a negative experience the next time you go, okay? What are the other things that we need to do? We need to contact our government officials because what we need to do is make sure that there are not limitations to people accessing care because they have pre-existing conditions. We need to advocate for mental health sessions for every insurance. And that includes if you have a pre-existing history of anorexia, substance abuse, bulimia, those are things that are frequently not covered by insurance. And that people are guaranteed at least 22 sessions per year of mental health, even if you don't go and utilize them. They're there if you need them. And that's about how long it takes for us to really make some progress with people. We also want to make sure that if you need to go and get a scan, and I am a believer that everybody needs a baseline MRI. Let's see what you look like at your healthiest. That way, if things come up, we have something to compare it to. A lot of people are denied access to getting scans to even understand what's going on. So people are being treated based on their symptoms, not knowing necessarily what's the root cause. So we want to address that by making sure our providers can get paid and then also making sure that what people need as determined by their provider is covered and not questioned every time somebody wants to get a procedure done. You have to jump through all of these hoops as a provider, which makes providers not want to seek those extra steps to be able to get that, that person the care that they need, right? The other thing that we want to do is education. Education is so very important to help people understand what it means to have a pre-existing condition. How does that limit you in terms of even getting help, um, life insurance? How can that limit you in terms of some of the access that you need to services later on in life, right? Is this something that's going to follow you if you want to go into the military? That's a huge concern for people, which is why they don't want to seek services. Then also our police officers, right? Nobody wants to be diagnosed with anything because it can prohibit them from being able to get into the field of, of law they want to go into or military service or other areas, even traveling abroad sometimes, right? So we want to provide some education about how we can address that. Um, and talk to people about you can still have a mental health condition and that not mean you can't serve. We want it to be managed effectively and we want to understand how your symptoms are affecting you and where you are in your progress so that we can make sure you're safe and other people are safe. Okay, so what are the other things that we can do? Um, we can commit to seeing people outside of a pre-existing condition. Uh, you are a person. You are not a condition. So I don't need to be telling you you're a schizophrenic or or you're you're a bipolar. I need to say you are a person first. And then if you are experiencing some other things, then we can talk about those later. Not that we need to be bringing that up in conversations in general, but you are a person that is learning to manage your diabetes as opposed to seeing you as a diabetic. Because that negative label can also interfere with people following through with good access, uh, good good care, and also following through with the recommendations provided by their treatment providers, okay? See me, value me, 
respect me, hear me, encourage me, support me, and help me. Okay? Be encouraged.